everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kitchen Gods Podcast with me, Michelle Dahl, and Ken Herskovitz. Ken, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's good to be back, as always. It is good to be back. Episode 25. We're at like a day or two late this week. I yeah. got kind of slammed. Okay. I'm pretty sure everyone will forgive us. Will you forgive us, please? <laughs> Did anybody loyal, notice? I just want to know, did anybody actually <clears throat> notice? Yeah, I noticed. No, it's been really fun. Uh, so I used to work for Ron Ben Israel. He has a wedding cake company, and he and Tom Smallwood have started doing Ron Ben Israel treats. Okay. And they got huge holiday orders. So I got to go in for a couple of days and hang out with them. And it's the first time I've worked with anyone since March. Oh, really. Wow. Right. You know, I've taught occasionally, but you're on your own there. Sure. And, and, you but know, you're so here you're same. in a you're in a commercial kitchen environment all of a sudden again, right? Yes. And it was so much fun. Oh good. It was such it was such a, a mental break. And it was one of those rare experiences when you walk into a room and you meet someone and within like an hour you're both speaking the same language. Mm. And so yeah, Tom and Beata, uh, we were packaging basically just a million cookies. Good times. Good, good. times. The cook the cookies that they're making are mm, tell me. ridiculous. Yeah. So I think my favorite was this white chocolate cranberry mm. cookie. Heaven. That's... And then he also made this cookie. Um it's Earl Grey tea okay. and dried blueberries. Huh. And it, it's like the most perfect morning tea experience without having it, morning it, it kind of like tea. a scone consistency or was it like a no cookie, like, a, like a cookie it's straight up a cookie nice. it's like got that nice chew and bite to it and they're all just the perfect amount mm. of squishy and crunchy on the outside have highly recommend and he's also making these chocolate hazelnut cakes it was That's... fun to work with really amazing product and then it was really fun to work with and make new friends, yeah. which I and haven't done with, in with, a year. In a yeah. high-end environment. Yeah, that's good. It's an honor to to get asked to do that, too. You know, just, oh, they're, sure. not, they're not just you know, wrangling in people from the street who can package cookies. They want somebody with experience. <laughs> they need a Michelle Dahl in there. That's right. That's so <laughs> cool. It's, it's funny. A couple of weeks ago for Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. Donna, my wife, always makes chocolate chip cookies to bring to usually my mom's or, or her, her family. But Phoebe wanted to make something different this year in addition to the chocolate chip cookie. But the she made white chocolate cranberry um, mm. cookies. She went to the store, got all the ingredients, and then and, and she had cranberries because she was making cranberry sauce also. But she didn't get craisins, which, uh-huh. are, which are the – you put craisins in the instead of – The sweetened one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she didn't have – and so rather than go back to the store, they made craisins. Um, they actually, oh, they actually with cranberries with, and with, sugar juice. Yep. And... Yeah. They wow. just, they baked, they made craisins in the oven. <clears throat> they cooked, they cooked all day and they uh-huh. made, they made just enough to, for the batch of cookies. That's dedication. It was, it was pretty cool. That was, and, and, they, were, cool. and they were delicious. They were, they were very tart if you just ate them on their own, but in the mix with the cookies, they were awesome. And then it, whatever was left over, you can reconstitute and make cranberries. We should have done that. I think she used them. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Oatmeal, craisin, white chocolate. Oh, it was an oatmeal-based cookie. Yeah, it was oatmeal. Yeah. Interesting. Sorry, I left that interesting yeah. the, these, part out. Yes. Yeah, Donna made them brown sugar-based, so like like a chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> like a chocolate chip cookie, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anyway, so Tom Anywho, had the idea for, awesome. for this week's podcast. Oh. I'm a full-on Civil War buff now, yeah, so right. I'm, I'm going to take you all the way back. To the Battle of Columbus, Georgia. There's uh, some exciting a... things going there. We'll talk a little bit about Georgia politics. Yeah, talk about battleground. But I'm... I will. At- <laughs> I, will att- <laughs> I will attempt not to speak in a Southern accent at, at any time. I start to feel free to say, Michelle, stop. Okay. I'll just like I'll say, y'all, Bubba, <laughs> y'all. y'all. It's, 
I have a really hard time talking about this stuff without an accent. <laughs> uh, so the Battle of Columbus, Georgia was in April 16, 1865. Civil War is raging on for at least another month. And this is one of the last battles. Okay. General James H. Wilson of the Union Army is leading his cavalry corps down to Georgia and Alabama. Okay. So these are some of the last bastions of intact armories and people creating these giant, you know, steam-powered tank ships mm. that would go up and down the rivers. That's their purpose. Is okay. We're going to go down to the south and we're going to burn this stuff down. Now, the Confederate soldiers are being rallied by General Nathan Bedford, okay. the butthead Forrest. He is a, a total butthead. Okay. Uh, what would lead me to besmirch his name? Well, it's, it's kind of funny because he's actually one of the best cavalrymen that there was. He was an incredibly hmm. adept military strategist, but an absolute disaster at being a human being. Okay. He played the main role in the massacre of over 300 black soldiers at Fort Pillow. Mm. All of these Union soldiers had surrendered. Okay. And General Forrest goes ahead and has them all executed. Mm. So that's not great. He'd grown up amassing a huge pile of money as a slave trader, a real estate broker, and a cotton plantation owner. He okay. had actually enlisted in the Confederate Army as a private and is one of just a handful that made it all the way to general hmm. without any military training he'd never gone to any kind of military school whatsoever he's he he just a natural at it so forrest is totally outnumbered despite his military acumen general james wilson is going on to capture selma so it's the battle of columbus georgia columbus georgia is on the chattahoochee river it has a huge naval construction facility and would be a huge asset, a uh, huge get for Wilson and the Union Army. Sure. An army that doesn't know about Lincoln being shot two days prior. Oh. Lincoln is in a hospital now. He's about to die momentarily. And they are down there getting ready to march on to Columbus. And, and no yeah. contact whatsoever. Knowing Nobody this is, knows. Okay, interesting. There were two skinny bridges, two skinny covered bridges okay. that connected Columbus, Georgia to Girard, Alabama. Okay. And kind of a fun, interesting side note, these two lovely little bridges were designed and built by Horace King. Now, Horace King had been a slave who was taught illegally how to read and write. And then he went on to become a highly skilled carpenter and a mechanic And by the, by the time he was a teenager. Wow. He was absolutely amazing. His wife was a free woman which was lucky because if you married a free woman like Judaism, it's passed down by the moms. Interesting. So if you had a husband who was, a, who was still a slave, your children would be free. Huh. But if a freed slave married a woman who was still a slave, the children would become slaves. It, it, it amazes me that there were rules around that. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it seemed, it seems so completely anarchistic, you know, looking, right. but, but no, there was structure to it, which is uh -huh. baffling. Somebody from, sat from down and wrote point. these rules That's and the decided thing. this is how it's going to be. Right. He would actually go on to make so much money with these being an architect mm -hmm. that he was able to buy his own freedom. Okay. From his slave owner who had gone on, who had taught him and had taught him really well. And, and he always held him in very high regard, took his name, mm -hmm. King. He made a dozen major bridges around okay. that area. He built huge churches. He built homes, giant buildings around there. He's considered the best bridge builder of the 19th century. Wow. South of America, United Amazing. States of America. He was super handsome too. He was so beloved that he was elected to the legislature in Georgia. Wow. 
Yes, twice. And from 1867 to 1872, this man who had bought his own freedom was pushed into doing this. He didn't even really want to do it that much. This first year, he was so busy building bridges and stuff that he, he barely showed up. He didn't vote on anything. Hmm. He didn't start um, promoting any kind of legislation until his last couple of years there. And then he was just like, eh, this isn't my thing. Yeah. But that's the guy who built these two skinny bridges okay. that went into Columbus. So General Cobb, General that's down there, and he orders that the bases of these skinny bridges get wrapped up in turpentine uh, soaked cotton. Okay. So it's all these cotton sheets. He's with the Confederates. He's, you know, we're going to burn it down. Sure. This is obviously a huge point where the, the Union soldiers are going to come in. Yep. And when they do, ha, 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 yep. we're going to torch them. At 1.30 in the afternoon on Easter, April 16th, mm -hmm. General Wilson's army shows up. And the fighting begins. Some of the Union soldiers start to make their way across the Southern Bridge. So these two bridges are kind of like the Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge. You Got can it. see mm -hmm. them. Right. They're, they're not that not too, too far apart. They start to make their way across the southernmost bridge. The soldiers realize that up ahead, some of the floor planks have been removed. So it's like, Trip you know, us, you can yeah. see the water below. You're not going to, they, they didn't want to risk it. Mm -hmm. So they start to backtrack. General Wilson then turns his attention to the Northern Bridge and it's getting late and this has taken all of their time. Okay. So it's Easter Sunday now, it's chilly out, the sun is set. Everyone's kind of like, all right, that's it for the night. You know, we're gonna get a good sleep, get up tomorrow and, and kick the crap out of each other. Mm. But that was a stupid assumption. Surprise, General Wilson launches an attack on the upper bridge. The Union Army meets with some Confederate soldiers at the other end and everyone starts fighting. Uh, there's a Confederate soldier named Pemberton who gets slashed in the chest with a saber. Okay. So it's just a second they, they come spilling out of the super narrow bridge. They are like, you know, huge yeah. skirmish, skirmish, sure. skirmish. It's 11 o'clock at night. And General Wilson himself makes it across this bridge. His horse gets shot almost immediately. So he hightails it to the nearest house that's close to the bridge. And it's this really beautiful house. It's still there. You can still visit it. It's called the Mott House. And it was owned by Colonel Lamar. This asshat had funded <laughs> illegally the penultimate slave ship that came into the United States. Okay. So he sent all this money down so that 409 men from the Congo could be captured, enslaved, and brought back up. Hmm. He is a piece of trash. This was very much illegal at the time. Okay. They were no longer allowed to bring in slaves, but he, he was trying to sneak them in. They got caught, they got charged, and all the charges were dismissed. Hmm. No tears were shed when he died trying to protect his house that Colonel Wilson, uh, General Wilson was moving Commandeering, into. Commandeering, yeah. Yeah, at the time. So, bye. See ya. Bye. General Wilson... Uh, lost around 60 men in this battle. The Confederates lost about 151. There were 1,600 who were rounded up and moved to a prison camp. But all in all, this killed a lot less people than tainted beef in the, the Civil War. But it was still, it was a, it was a bloody fight. Yeah. Um, Wait, so, 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 yeah, so who came, who prevailed? Who wound up in the, in the prison the camp? North. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, the Confederates ended up in the prison camp. Got it. And this is despite the acumen of Nathan Forrest. Sure. You know, genius cavalry man. He was just completely outmanned, yeah. completely outnumbered. So the Union Army moves into Columbus and they torch everything. There was some looting that went on, but mainly the Naval Depot and all the armories were torched hmm. within the next, you know, 36, 48 hours. 10 days later, the Civil War is done. Okay. It's over. Wow. Word, is, word has gotten out. Um, Lee has surrendered. He had surrendered previously, actually. Mm. But like Frodo, 
<laughs> John Stith Pemberton, who'd been stabbed in the chest, can't get over his injury. Okay. He's in agony. It's in so much pain. He was still recovering from his chest wound and, and he just, he couldn't find any relief. John had been born in 1831 in Georgia. He came from a long line of fancy Brits who had moved here in the 1600s, here in the United States mm -hmm. in the 1600s, and they had moved into Pennsylvania and then kind of come down slowly through Georgia, but rich white people moving down to Georgia. Right. John had earned a medical degree uh, in doctrine. <laughs> He'd earned a doctrine, doctrine degree yes. for doctrine when, when he was doctor. just 19 years old. Wow. So baby doctor. Okay. He tried some surgery. <laughs> and <laughs> tried. And then I tried some surgery. The I tried it once. Yeah. I tried surgery Not once, and me. I got to tell you, nobody <laughs> looks good with three ears. <laughs> um, he practiced medicine for a little bit, but his real talent was chemistry. Okay. And he had a special love for this chemistry now that he's in constant pain. Um, he had a wife and he had a son. Mm -hmm. He's in his 30s now when he gets stabbed okay. during this battle. So he develops a crippling morphine addiction. Hmm. Have you ever taken morphine? Yes, narcotic for, you know, um, I think the last time was wisdom teeth was years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They used to just give you bottles like, of yeah, it. And get as many refills as you want. <laughs> like Tic Tacs. Yeah. I think I told you before, I mean, I, I don't remember if I edited it out, but when I broke my arm really badly, mm -hmm. they gave me a bottle. Like I had Demerol before I left. And I had Percocets for the entire time home. And I had a nerve that was being crushed by two pieces of bone. <laughs> So they said, take as many as you need. Don't. Don't skimp. <laughs> don't skimp. Don't worry about it. I'm like, okay. And I, did, I had to take a lot because it was just debilitating pain. And then I went in, I had my surgery. And in recovery, they had given me a morphine pump. So mm -hmm. I have this little the button. button yep. The button. And then uh, we I both just did the, we, And both of us just, just <laughs> held our hands up and did the button move. We know what it is. Oh, come on. <laughs> I was. It was just so much agony. But the thing is, the way my body reacts to morphine is not quite normal. It takes a lot. Mm. And then when it finally kicks in and I get some pain relief, I also get hives and I'll get a little fever and I've like developed this kind of allergy That's for morphine. Lucky in a way. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess because afterwards too, they would just give me bottles of painkillers to take home. It was very, you know, it was pretty well, it's intense. Like, yeah. It's, 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 surgery. it's why the Sackler family is going to jail. <laughs> yes. As well. They should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I had a, a lot of it and it can cause like sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to get, you get physically addicted to it incredibly quickly and then mentally addicted to it very quickly after that. Sure. And the problem is it, it does cause serious withdrawal. Mm -hmm. So the cure can make you feel just as bad as, as anything else. So John is trying to figure out how to stop taking so much morphine. Okay. His first attempt <laughs> was called Dr. Tuggle's compound syrup of globe flower. Wow. All right. I heard that Do works. Dr. Tuggle. <laughs> that sounds Tuggle, like, yeah. that sounds like something your uncle would say. Call me Dr. Tuggle. Um, mom. Creepy uncle. Yeah. Compound syrup of globe flower. Mm. So that's made from a toxic Alaskan flower that I guess had some sort of medicinal property. Sure. But... If you're going to take something toxic, it better be medicinal. <laughs> Didn't work. Next, he tried some coca. So coca is from the um, South American plants that make cocaine. cocaine. Mm, There's four, four different species of plants down mm. there that you can get cocaine from, from these coca leaves. I mean, the natives would chew it between their teeth and mm. 
cocoa wine had become very popular in France okay. a few years prior. You know, wines that have cocaine in them. Perfect. <laughs> a bubbly little number invented by Angelo Mariani, who is not a kitchen god. He's a diabolical Good, we'll skip right over Person, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, in France in 1863, he's like, hey, what if we put the cocaine in the wine? <laughs> <I got night. laughs> it's no good. John Pemberton landed on a formulation that had a pleasant caffeinated buzz uh -huh. from the cola nut and shrub juice from a Texas plant. And he called it Pemberton's French wine coca. Okay. So Pemberton went ahead down this cocaine, wine, morphine. Why not uh, at that point? road yeah, morphine adjacent <laughs> uh it was supposed to be you know his whole plan was that my gosh you know we, we talked about prohibition before and the reason prohibition came about was because people had serious drinking problems yeah. all of these poor boys who had massive ptsd mm -hmm. and kids going hungry and it's just addiction and alcoholism are rampant across the country it's not just these teetotalers saying, you know, right. we're stopping Knock the it party. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh, this is really out of hand. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to help all of these people out by making his, his silly sounding Relief. apothecary yeah. drinks. Yeah. Soda jerk drinks. He plugged along selling this concoction until prohibition hit in 1886. Okay. So now you can have your cocaine, but yeah, you can't have your wine. Exactly. He started to develop a non-alcoholic version of his tonic with his friend, Willis E. Venable. Okay. Willis E. Venable had a soda shop down the street. And after a ton of tries, Pemberton had his recipe for a new non-alcoholic medicine to help everyone feel a little bit better. And then he accidentally made it with some carbonated water instead of flat water. Hmm. And it went from being a medicine to a fountain drink. Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola! Yeah. <laughs> hey! This is where we got Coca-Cola. Interesting. He is our kitchen god. How about that? I was I had a feeling I I was putting this together. I didn't just just jump to that at that second. So that's good. That's good. You led me right to that one. <laughs> so this guy Frank Mason is a friend of his, and he dipped his toe in the marketing pool. Robinson was the name who the one who named it Coca Cola. Okay. Everyone loves alliteration. He's also responsible for the logo being written in the Spencerian script. Okay. And Spencerian script is actually what that typeface is called. It's <laughs> how kids were taught to write in cursive. That's why everyone's handwriting always looks kind of the same. It's called Spencerian script. And it's essentially the font you are made to memorize as a kid. Huh, interesting. Really cool. And that's what, you know, that Coca-Cola yeah. is so pretty. It's funny because now we just send eggplant and peach emojis <laughs> as opposed to <laughs> learning how to, to write it all pretty. Write that out nicely. Yeah. Anyway, it was marketed as a brain tonic. <laughs> brain tonic. Get your brain tonic. <laughs> you know what you need, sugar. You need a brain tonic. <laughs> could use Maybe a brain take tonic. two. <laughs> Definitely. Could use it some. could cure headaches mm -hmm. on account of the cocaine, I guess. I sure. Know what I was uh, it relieved tension and exhaustion. And it was delicious and it was yeah. refreshing. Yes. And it was spiritual exhilaration. <laughs> it was so invigorating. Yeah. <laughs> it feels so good when it hits your lips. <laughs> Um, John, I should say I have never in my life done cocaine. Me no, Probably. no judgment. You can, still make, you, have, you can still make fun of it, but it's one of my favorite things to make fun of. I is, know it's is easy. Cocaine. I don't know why. Yeah. Just, yeah. Don't do, don't do drugs. No, please. Uh, so John Pemberton, our kitchen God of the week, mm -hmm. uh, this impact had, 
it was huge. It went yeah. all over the world. It was it's absolutely indisputable Early. how far this brand has spread. Sadly, John fell ill and he went broke. Mm. The man who invented Coke, Coca-Cola, went broke mm. and started selling off his own ownership of Coca-Cola. Hmm. He died of stomach cancer, which is Ooh. one of the worst cancers to get as far as pain is concerned. So he was just it, it was really he led a very a very pain filled life from the time he was 30. something. Truly, wow. truly. And and that he was trying to find a, uh, something to help with his own pain as well as anybody else's. I mm -hmm. mean, you know, yeah, he died at 57. Wow. Um, so, yeah, he died of, of stomach cancer and a, and a morphine addiction. Hmm. Uh, his son continued to sell Coca-Cola, the syrup, until he died of an opium addiction, Whoa. which just well, goes guess, to show yeah. no matter how much money. I mean, they were they had been wealthy and but they had they had come from this established fine British family, you know, given every yeah. opportunity as these white men are and still to fall to opium addiction. Mm -hmm. He was not stabbed. He was not in great pain that we know of, right. but. Still, it only takes a little bit before you're going down that road and it's That's it's completely end. ruinous. Yeah. And they sold off Coca-Cola. They completely gave it up. Wow. And yeah, they lost they lost everything. The person that bought it uh -huh. was this genius businessman, Mr. Asa Candler from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. He saw the potential in Coca-Cola and bought the rights for anywhere between $1,750 to $2,300. I've oh seen goodness. both numbers, but it's you know, a lot at the back time, then, but still. But he thinks that's like 50 grand back then. It's right. like, oh, I, you know, I own Coca-Cola. Right. Four years later, he starts the Coca-Cola company. Okay. So he's growing a business. Sure. By 1895, the company is distributing across the United States. So he had bought it in 1888. Mm -hmm. And within 10 years or so it's it's everywhere he took it from nine thousand gallons of syrup a year being sold mm -hmm. to three hundred and seventy one thousand gallons of syrup That's being sold more. yeah <laughs> <laughs> he did that it's good math yeah so people start to see coca-cola everywhere beautiful logo yep. you know they start he's smart and he starts advertising very quickly in 1899 two lawyer types benjamin thomas and joseph whitehead they come down they're kind of interested they're from chattanooga tennessee and they approach asa about bottling contracts okay and asa's like yeah all right i got a bridge in brooklyn i can sell you too sure. yeah you want to buy my bottling contracts nobody buys bottles <laughs> coca-cola was sold by soda jerks right what kind of weirdo is going to go into a Piggly Wiggly and buy a bottle. Right. Especially because Piggly Wiggly's don't exist then. <laughs> this is not going to happen <laughs> anyway, shape or form. They were only, only charging a nickel for it at the fountains. Okay. It's just, you know, a few, and which was actually a few pennies less than everything else that was available. So it's so being marketed as a cheap drink right? or as a cheap, you know, medicinal beverage. So Asa probably figured out what's the harm. Asa sold them the rights to bottle it for a dollar. No. Yes. And he never even cashed in that check. So he's selling them the rights to bottle it, which means you can bottle my product. You have to buy it for me. Buy the syrup, right? Buy the syrup. And you, you may sell not. sell for whatever you want. You can sell for, well, no, you have to sell it for the same price as the fountain drink. So all of these bottles of Coke are just five cents. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So like, that's why the five cent logo on the, on the original yes. bottles came from. 
Interesting. Yes. That's so cool. And they couldn't change it. Ken, guess what? What? <laughs> Bottling became popular. Get out. <laughs> it's true. By 1928, more Coca-Cola is sold by bottles than any other kind of soda jerks in the country. Sure. But the contract didn't expire. Coca-Cola was married to this five cent price tag. The only way to turn a profit would be to sell a ton sure. of it. So the contracts buying the syrup at a fixed price, this went on for nearly 70 years. They kept it at this five cent at price. five cents, 70 years at five cents. Pretty much through a massive marketing push, they managed to succeed despite their nickel a bottle sales limit. In 1921, they finally renegotiated this contract. So the price could have gone up, but the problem is a nickel was part of their, all of their signage, right? Their heritage, yeah. all of their advertising. Coca-Cola had made and owned 85% of all the Coca-Cola vending machines that their bottles are being, uh, that those other guys' bottles sure. are being put into. And they're all five cents. They're, the machines are great, but they're terrible at making change. So if you put in a mm. dime, you're not going to get your nickel back on the fuse that, that wouldn't even, that would even make change. Sure. They were terrible at it. Um, and they were afraid that if it was six cents, then people who came up with a nickel would be like, oh, forget it. I'm not yeah. going to do it. Right. So they kept it at a nickel until the 1950s. Really? Yes. And there was such inflation didn't really start to hit until the World War. I would have um, never guessed that. That's amazing. It was, how much was it when you were a kid? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know. And probably... I, would, I remember putting been, a quarter. I was going to say a quarter for a machine for a can because I wouldn't because yeah. because the, there there were no bottle dispensaries you know mm -hmm. or, or or you know vending machines, but yeah, a quarter is is is, is as cheap as yeah. I can remember for a single serve, which isn't it's still that yeah. And far so from that's a nickel. no, yeah. and that would have been the eighties. So thirty years later, it went up you know by a factor of five incrementally. At a, a, they had tried they actually approached the treasury and said, mm -hmm. "Will you make a coin that is seven and a half cents?" Because that way we could have it just be one coin. Please, please, please do this. And wow, Treasury's like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's wow, terrible no. lobbyists. Yeah, come up with eight. Yeah. <laughs> in some of the machines in the South, they yeah. actually did this blank process. So every ninth bottle would be empty. Huh. And that way they could make 5.62 cents per full bottle. And they, they would advertise it on there like, you know, some Rube is going to pay a nickel and he's not going to get anything. But that was a way that they thought of. That you know, this is a good way we can raise the price. Just, over. just <laughs> cheat, just cheat every fifth per, every ninth person. Every ninth person's gonna have to pay ten cents for their soda because they're so but, cheap. Wow. It didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't go very far. I was gonna say, but a few machines were made that did that, and I imagine if those machines are still around, what incredible collection items they must be. be. Yeah, no kidding. No, but by the 1940s, inflation is just too much. It's just really starting to kick in. Yeah. So in 1950, they raised it to six cents and they stopped finally printing all of this nickel advertising on all of their ephemera. In 1959, there are no more nickel Cokes to be had. Mm. That was it. They had finally, Done. I mean, the cost, when I worked in branding, that was one of the things that we would always look at early on is if we're going to do a complete rebranding of something, how much is it going to cost to Reprint all the letterhead, reprint all of the paychecks, everything, all right. of the signs, directional signs, bathroom signs, floor signs, every, you know, every little thing. And it's a huge sure. amount of money. Yeah. So it was so much money. And they knew that, that they had decided, you know, we're just going to leave it. It doesn't make sense. We're just going to leave it at five cents a Coke until <laughs> we just can't anymore. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. 
the cocaine had yeah, been yeah, removed yeah. in 1903. So Asa okay. is like, this isn't right. Yeah, somebody <laughs> figured he, it out. Yeah. He took the cocaine out though, and that's a new revenue stream. He sold it to pharmaceutical companies hmm. to make whatever they make. I mean, cocaine based things. With. Sure. Sure, why not? Uh, in 1911, they already had a million dollar marketing budget. Wow. In 1911. So, Which is like a billion today. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's, and I, I'm sure they're still one of the top spenders. They had to do a whole fleet of trucks. You know, mm-hmm. Eric and I did the um, New York Times company logo. And oh. whenever you see a New York Times news truck, uh-huh. you know, delivery truck, the guys that deliver the papers, our logo is on the door. Wait a minute. You designed the New York Times company, company logo. logo. Right. So it's got the super graphic T that kind of bleeds off the side. So yeah. I, I, oh, this is kind of a silly story, but Eric and I worked at Landor. We were secretly dating and they put us on this project to do, I know, don't tell anybody, um, the New York Times company pro- project. And it's the middle of winter. I sketch it out on a napkin and I hand it to him and I'm like, this is, uh, you know, what do uh-huh. you think? And he's like, no, that's right. And in our true fashion, he takes what uh, my doodle and makes it look amazing. Uh-huh. And we go to, we, t- we did talk about this once before, I remember. So we go to the New York Times Company building and we go in front of Arthur Ock Soulsberger and the board, which is these, you know, some octogenarians, uh-huh. they, Arthur Soulsberger says, we're going to defer to the experts here. And Eric's like, okay, when are they coming? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. You were it. <laughs> and they, they went for it. They bought it. It's now on the opinion, op-ed page. You can see it up in the corner every single day. I gotta go look and at it because I'm have I because I can picture it, but I want to go stare at it. That's uh, awesome and I mean, yeah. and and, it's not and, very flashy. and no, but still the just oh, the, but it was you, amazing. You, I know it's great to it see was your so work much there. Fun. And this was when it was in Times Square when their building was still in Times Square, and we're up on this top floor, and there's a snowstorm. So this is like flirt. It was like we're in a snow globe, and as we walk out, it's all of these, you know, grandfather clocks and other clocks they get a lot of clocks but okay. you know from the town of tuskegee and yeah. rear swiss to the Salzburgers, it was very it was very cool it was neat that's amazing that's a cool story and you did and and michelle and her michelle and her husband eric are are tremendous branding team and they, they oh. yeah it is they were they work they work with me on a on a recent project that i can't say the name of yet but it's but the they it uh, like bl- blown away myself, the client, everybody that, that I, that I'm, on my team, we're just, you know, we, we absolutely love it. So, but it's yeah, it's just they're the good. FedEx logo written I, with some I, other words. I thought it looked familiar. I thought you cheated <laughs> us out of that. So branding, 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 yeah. love our branding. And Asa was all about continuing this. And it was, oh, in 1917, mm-hmm. he reduced the caffeine by half. So can you imagine how much caffeine? was in there it must have been like a jolt cola no wonder or energy drink monster energy nobody was nobody was drinking just one that's how they got away with five cents i wonder i wonder because i mean when i was a kid you drank a lot less soda although my mom oh, drinks coca-cola instead of well, coffee every day well, I, she would go through like a liter a day oh i would go through oh it was bad Oh, really? Maybe yeah. i was just speaking for myself then no i was yeah i was really like that was I mean, even like in college and out of college, my first job, it was almost two liters a day oh. is, is what I, is what I would drink. I would drink a cup of coffee in the morning, like a big cup of coffee in the morning Oh, you're and then Coke all day. And yeah. And I'm, I'm amazed I'm, you know, alive, but the, but I had, I, I started having arrhythmia and, mm-hmm. and I called, I, I called a friend of mine who was in medical school and I, you know, and 
she was like, how much caffeine do you drink? I'm like, um, all of it. I'm like, that's <laughs> all that, That's all I drink. And she's, like, she's like, she's like, yeah, she's, she's like, just try cutting back. And I was, I was freaked out because the arrhythmia, I was, I was, it was yeah, it feels and like was, you're having a heart attack. And I was an EMT at the time too. So I was, mm-hmm. so I'm like, I'm taking my pulse Stra- and, and a I'm, highly I'm stressed job. Totally. Right. And I'm like, um, and so I'm, so I cut it out. I actually, I actually went caffeine free for almost five years. And you have um, like withdrawals though. Those first few weeks, you get massive weeks, headaches and massive. Yeah. I've weaned it back in. Um, and I'm, I, oh, good. I, I, yeah. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm, I, it's, it's limited now. So I'll, I'll yeah, um, yeah. You, know, you know, two, three cups of yeah. coffee. I can't it. have more than a half a cup of coffee in the morning. And if I have a coffee in the afternoon, I really feel it. It's like okay. I had two diet Cokes this week while I was working at Ron's. Caffeinated or, or decaffeinated? caffeinated okay but oh my gosh i don't know what it is about diet coke it's so chemically but it's so good it's just I like i can't yeah i can't stand the taste of diet yeah well it's, it's like well, it's like drinking chemicals well I, it's I will, truly yeah it's all, it's I, all I, it hits this button and i'm just huh. like oh, yes it's, it's it's interesting so so when i gave up caffeine i actually gave up coke and that's the, that's the last time i've tasted cola was huh. it was 20 years ago Wow. I have not had cola in 20 years. I have, wow. I've had root beer. So I, good. <laughs> I'll, I'll occasionally have a root beer. I'll occasionally uh-huh. have like, uh, which is, but yeah, but no, root beer is the closest thing to cola. Which it's is caffeine not, free. Yeah. It's caffeine free. But I have yeah. not, I have not had a caffeinated soda beverage. Soda beverage. Yeah. In 20 years. <laughs> Man, I love root beer. I do too. Really it's my good. favorite. Uh, yeah. But I love Coke too. And I, I mean, Chinese food, give me a Coke. If I'm eating pizza, I want, a Coke. but uh, you know what? We've cut it back. We've cut back drastically. We don't yeah. have, we never have it in the house. And when we do, I, I try to get the Mexican Coke bottles because that's made with the cane sugar. Okay. It's uh, not corn. There's no corn syrup. Okay. So in, I want to tell you a little bit about Ace's kids. Oh, okay. Let's hit it. So in 1919, Ace's getting up there and he gives all of his shares to his kids. Mm. It's a uh, roughly $25 million worth. All right. So Ace, and this is what this should be doing instead of some stupid KFC Mario Lopez movie. It should be about these, <laughs> these this family. Cause this is fascinating. So okay. Ace's eldest son, Charles Howard Candler. Okay. All right. He becomes the chairman of the board of trustees at Emory university. Now Asa had given millions and millions of dollars to Emory university. Okay. It was, he was philanthropic, but mainly to schools. Okay. Charles's family estate was Callenwold on Briarcliff Road mm. in Druid Hills. Okay. And it's now the Fine Arts Center for oh. Emory University. Interesting. The second son, Asa Jr., is this eccentric alcoholic. He suffers from severe depression. He becomes a real estate a- developer and he opens up the Briarcliff Hotel. Okay. And the Briarcliff, I have such a hard time saying that, the Briarcliff Mansion and Estate also in Druid Hills, becomes a alcoholism rehab center and then a psychiatric hospital. And now Emory University owns it and they have it as part of their campus. He also collected exotic and strange animals. Hmm. And that became a big part of the Atlanta Zoo in the Hmm. 1930s. So all these weird animals was like, "Eh, you take them. His only daughter, Lucy, married Henry Hines, not... That I was going to say, really? Just, just two <laughs> oh, words wow. colliding, yeah. <laughs> it's a picnic. Have a picnic right there. <laughs> he was a banker okay. and the president of the Kiwanis Club. He was shot by a burglar in their mansion. There were lots of rumors that a family member had shot him, mm. but nobody was ever convicted. So Lucy's now a widow, and she later goes on to marry this cellist and conductor, Enrico Palazzo. No. no. Enrico <laughs> Lady. 
Liddy, 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 Liddy. Go for it. Um, yeah. Anyway, he was one of the fr- people who founded the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra. Okay. The third son, Walter Candler, was a businessman, a philanthropist, and a horse sportsman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading this off Wikipedia, obviously. Mm. He, his house, the Lowell Water House, has been adapted to be used. It's where the president of Emory now sleeps. Huh. It's his house. Interesting. So Emory, Emory, Emory. And the youngest son, William, was a local financier of the Atlanta Biltmore Hotel and Biltmore Apartments. Hmm. Rich, very fancy kids. And they sold it all off almost immediately. As soon as they got the stock, they sold it hmm. off to a businessman, Ernest Woodruff, for $25 million. So he came in and he scooped it up. Face value, basically. Right? That's, yeah. Mm, okay. Ernest's son would go on to become president of the Coca-Cola company from 1923 to 1955. Okay. So this is some of the, you know, they had already been doing all this great advertising, but this was still heavy advertising years, very iconic Coke. And they kept it, they kept yeah. it true to the brand, I think. Asa had died at 75 years old in 1929. He had a stroke, but 75 years old, pretty mm-hmm. good for the time. Mm-hmm. A couple of little random Coke facts. In 1916, that's when the curved bottle came about. Mm. They started to use the word Coke instead of Coca-Cola in 1941. Uh, in 1946, they started to branch out and they purchased the distribution rights to Fanta, which was a German company. Mm-hmm. Developed Sprite in 1961. They had the first sugar-free cola, Tab, in 1963. Mm. That was before Diet Coke. Tab, yeah. They bought Minute Maid in 1960 to get a corner on the juice market. Okay. Fresca in 1966. Fanta and Fresca? Hold on a second. Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> in 1982, Diet Coke. They developed Diet Coke. Yep. And in 1985, in April of 1985. New Coke. New Coke. Mm. And this was all wah, based wah. on taste tests so this was by committee this was by <sighs> research idea. group and they're like this is new coke by july coke classic came out yeah. there were such a massive that was yeah that was that was at what year was that 85 uh 85 yeah all right yeah i'm so i'm i'm in high school three months yeah it took three months for new for coke classic to come out i that i can still remember being thrilled at the taste of classic coke <sighs> Uh, it's amazing though. They're up to 2,800 different products for their company now. They're in over 200 wow. different countries. Mm, They're the largest beverage manufacturer and distributor in the world. Wow. And they're still headquartered in Atlanta, which okay. I love. I think it's kind of cool. That was cool. Uh, and in 1992, they were the first to create a bottle using recycled plastic, which wow. is revolutionary at the time. Yeah. And in dark time, 2001, they were sued by some unions for human rights violations that... South American union officials have been tortured, kidnapped uh, in Latin America. And so a lot of these American companies started and American universities started to boycott Coke products Hmm. because of these supposed alleged atrocities that were happening. The lawsuit was ultimately dismissed. And in 2005, they joined the Business Leaders Initiative on Human Rights. You know, Blair... (laughs) (laughs) it's funny the other companies in there you've got uh barclays Uh gap incorporated hewlett-packard mtv networks europe okay not not the united states no no they want nothing to do with human rights national grid (laughs) novartist novo nordisk norwegian company and the body shop international all right and they're going to tackle human 
They're trying to figure out how to make it, yeah, right. make it better for everybody. Blur. So they're still chugging along. And I wanted to end this podcast oh. with a little game. Oh, love games. These are alternative names for cocaine. Nice. Okay. And you tell me if it's a real name or if it's something oh. Michelle made up. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna project a seventy five percent. I bet you'll do pretty well. All right, let's see. All right. The devil's dandruff. That is real. Yes. Good job. Toot. Real. Yeah. How did you know that? I was that's, like, what? You know, that's, I mean, I've watched movies. I'm also a total <laughs> prude. Okay. So yeah. David S. Bumpkins. <laughs> that is that is a Michelle classic. <laughs> <laughs> really good. That is good. You got some David S. Bumpkins. That belongs on Letter Kenny. I'm going to write him a letter. It does. Um, Booger Sugar. Booger Sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with real. Yep. Real. Okay. All right. So you're a hundred for a hundred. Okay. Four for four. Scribble Scrabble. I don't think that's real, but I don't think you would have made that up. So I'm going to say it's real. No, I made it up. Oh, <laughs> oh you got me. Okay. There's my one. Um, Celebrity diet. <laughs> that's a good one. That's real. No, I made that up. Two, really? Oh. Two. I don't give you enough credit. Okay. All right. White horse. That's real. That's real. If you want to ride, <laughs> ride a white horse. Um, Stardust. That is real. That is real. And what's funny is I, I wrote my D backwards. So it was star bust, which is like, I guess if a hooker's involved. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> All right. Bolivian marching powder. I'm going with that's Michelle. No, it's real. Okay. <laughs> three, um, I got three now. Fancy flakes. That's Michelle. Yeah, that's me, All totally. Right. <laughs> um, Baltic tea. That's real. It's real, and it's a drink. It's cocaine dissolved in vodka. Interesting. Uh, and lastly, barkeeper's friend. No, that's that's not because barkeeper's friend is a is a cleaner. It's a it's a it's a it's a cleaner for pans. It is. It's a cleaner for pans. Barkeepers but, don't snort but it. If I didn't have some in my house, I would I would completely say that it was real. All right, so yeah. I got three wrong. How many were there total? You did, but you got a lot right. So yeah. You got one, two, David S. Bumpkin. <laughs> I think you got 10 right 10 out of 13 I guess you got three wrong two or three wrong three wrong you only got two you only got scribble scrabble and celebrity diet wrong no I got three I got three wrong two you got right <laughs> two, two. two you don't want to do some two yeah. get your butt away from me <laughs> yeah. good job that's awesome that that's that's uh that was that was good don't do drugs. And no. if you are doing drugs, know that um, it's not because you're a bad person. It's no. because drugs are bad and yeah. you can get help and find your way back. Very much. Very much. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode 25. Uh, my son has demanded that episode 26 be labeled season two. Oh. So we're starting our next season. Fantastic. For our next podcast. And yeah, looking forward to it. That's, Thanks guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. It's been a, It's been a fun year and I've gotten all my... Mm-hmm. Some friends have been posting their Spotify listening habits, and it's such a treat to see Kitchen Gods podcast on their Yay. list. But people are really, really digging it, and That's I really I appreciate that. Thank you for listening. Yeah. 
Thanks, guys. Check us out. Catchyourcodspodcast.com. All right. We'll catch you next week. Thanks, Ken. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.